Genesis chapter 1 tonight, and um, I'm going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. And what I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And boy, I really enjoyed this study, some really interesting things, and this is not going to be an exhaustive study on this subject, because a lot of the stuff I was studying for this, I mean, there's so much in the Bible about it, it's not even funny, but uh, I've told you all about that terrible book I've been reading on dispensationalism. And um, a lot of what I was studying about the Holy Spirit on this, I mean, it really refuted a lot of stuff that's taught in there. Because uh, one thing we know, we're going to cover this a little bit, but I want to just kind of start off and get you thinking. We know that now that we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, what? and that was something that happened at Pentecost. That was when the Holy Spirit showed up. And we say before that, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people, which will make people say, you know, that's proof that salvation was different in the Old Testament versus salvation in the New Testament. There are people that try to teach that people were saved differently in the Old Testament. In fact, they teach that people in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith plus works. And they believe that now we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. But then one of these days during the tribulation, it's going to be faith plus works. You have to endure to the end to be saved. And that's just absolutely foolish. And we're not going to take, spend a lot of time on proving that false. But when we look at the Holy Spirit as we study Him in the Old Testament and compare some things in the New Testament, I really do think it sheds a lot of light on this because obviously that is a big difference, isn't it? I mean, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit now. They were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit when they were saved back then. Why was that? And I don't believe it's because salvation was necessarily different. I do believe it was. I do believe they were saved the same. And so, as we go through this, I will. I think you'll see that that is the truth. But the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, okay? The Holy Spirit, He was involved. Not He didn't start His work in the New Testament Pentecost. He has always been around. He has always been involved. He is a part of the Godhead. He is a part of the Trinity. He is eternal, just like God is and just like Jesus Christ. And in Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to read very far at all before you see the Holy Spirit mentioned. It says in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So right there, you only have to read two verses before you see a mention of the Spirit of God. Before you see a mention of the Holy Spirit, He moved upon the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit, He is everywhere. The Holy Spirit, he's all, He is all over the place. He has always been. He always will be. There are people that take the verse in the Bible where it says, uh, he that now letteth will let until that be taken out of the way. And they believe that's the Holy Spirit saying the Holy Spirit's going to be taken from the world whenever we are all raptured. I do not believe that's the case. I don't believe that's the case at all. The Holy Spirit, He's always been around. The Holy Spirit was around before people were even around. I mean, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters when God originally created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void. He was there on day one. And the Holy Spirit has always dealt with man. Genesis chapter 6. You only have to go a little farther. And it says, "...and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives." 
of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So right there, way back before Noah's time, we see the Holy Spirit of God dealing with men. Convicting men. Many times people will take you know, things like, for example, the husband of one wife. And you know, they will make kind of make excuses for the Old Testament people because well it was not given in the law yet for them to only take one wife. And that is true, but at the same time, there were still consequences for multiple wives, weren't there? I mean, every example in the Bible you find of people that had more than one wife, I mean there was there was consequences as a result of that, and Jesus Christ in the New Testament makes it very clear that in the beginning he created male and female. You know, in the, in the beginning, it was intended for one man and one woman and for them to stay married. From the very beginning, that was clear. Well, how were people supposed to know? Well, they were supposed to know from the examples that God gave. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God would have spoke to them and, re- and revealed it to them and laid that on their heart. But, you know, they rejected that. And the Holy Spirit, He dealt with man. He's been dealing with man since man has been on earth. We see that in the Old Testament, while I don't believe that men were indwelled by the Holy Spirit like we are today, the Holy Spirit did come on people. And you'll see that happen, but the Holy Spirit would come and go. Look at an example of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 38. It says, "...and Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is?" And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Joseph was somebody who had a special anointing from God. Joseph had this ability to interpret dreams. Okay, You and I don't have that ability to interpret dreams like Joseph did. But what the Holy Spirit would often do in the Old Testament, He would come on people and He would give them special abilities. Amazing abilities. You know, I don't even know if we can fully comprehend sometimes what these people were able to do when the Spirit of God would come upon them and Joseph could miraculously interpret dreams. Moses and the elders of Israel, there's a great example. Look at Numbers chapter 11 and verse 16. This is what would happen when the Spirit of God would come on people. But in Numbers chapter 11, verse 16, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself alone. Moses was another example of someone who had an, a special anointing from God. He had, a, he had a special gift from God. The Spirit of God was on Moses. When you see the abilities of Moses, the leadership abilities, he was not an ordinary man. He had the Spirit of God on him and he was capable of leading like no one else ever has. He had, I mean, just a special ability. And then God tells him in the story, I'm going to take that spirit that's on you and I'm going to put it on the elders of Israel. This was not Moses' spirit. This was the Spirit of God. 
that was on him. And then look what happened in verse 25 when God put that Spirit on the elders and the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the Spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them and they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. Does that remind you of any story in the New Testament? Remember those that were casting out devils in Jesus' name and the disciples saw it and they got mad? Hey, stop them. Forbid them. But Jesus said, you know, forbid them not. He that's not against us is for us. Uh, kind of reminds me of that. And then verse 29, Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Notice Moses who had the Spirit of God on him, he kind of answered the same way that Jesus did. It didn't bother him one bit. He's like, hey, the Spirit of God is on these people. I wish it was that way for everybody. And thank God today, if you're saved, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you. This was a good thing. This was an amazing thing that took place. But God gave them a special anointing, a special ability, and they prophesied. We see in Numbers chapter 24, verse 2, Balaam, who was not a good guy, okay? I don't, you know, and I, I think you can make a pretty strong argument. Balaam probably wasn't even saved. I, I, I don't know. I mean, when you see what the New Testament says about him, when you see the way he died in the Old Testament, I wonder if Balaam was even saved. But when you read the story of Balaam, when he's prophesying, he sounds like a believer. But look at verse 2. There's a reason he sounded so much like a believer. Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel biting in tents according to their tribes and the Spirit of God came upon him. Balak was wanting Balaam to curse Israel. But God didn't want Balaam cursing Israel. So the Spirit of God came on Balaam and Balaam starts blessing Israel. Why, why was he doing this? The Spirit of God was on him. And it caused him to do this great thing. This was not salvation. The Spirit of God coming on people was not salvation for these people. It was not evidence of salvation. It was not something that God did when people got saved because there are people who are saved that we don't ever see the Spirit of God coming on them. But here And here we have a man who probably wasn't saved. The Spirit of God came upon him. So the Holy Spirit did work in a different way back then. We see in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. Joshua was another one who had a special anointing from God, that the Spirit of God was on him. Othniel in Judges chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, and there are several examples of this in Judges, but it says that when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war, and the Lord delivered Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Chushan Rishathaim. Big name there. My wife's always like, she'll always suggest names. Well, that's a Bible name. 
Well, this is another one I'm going to start using. Well, Chushan Rishathayim is a Bible name too. We're not naming our kids that. <laughs> but uh, big, big name there. But notice how the Spirit of God came on Othniel and he had this special ability. And we see Samson in Judges chapter 14, verse 5. Then, Samson went, then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or mother what he had done. So right here we see that Samson's abilities, it, it didn't come from these gigantic muscles that he had. You know, Samson is always portrayed as this you know, He-Man type fellow with just these gigantic muscles. But the truth is, the people couldn't figure out where his strength came from. And where his strength came from, it came from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God would come on him, and he had these supernatural abilities. That was something that happened many times in the Old Testament. And then look, go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. Because to me, this is proof once that the Holy Spirit coming on somebody was not evidence of salvation, nor the Holy Spirit leaving somebody evidence of losing their salvation. People will a lot of the dispensationalists will make the argument that people lost their salvation in the Old Testament. And I don't know, I don't know if they tried to use Saul as an example, but Saul is an example of someone who lost the spirit of God. Okay? Now we believe in eternal security around here. We know that can't happen today, but once again, this was not the Holy Spirit coming on them was not salvation. Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul got in a I mean, this was a big deal, and I believe God gave Saul a special anointing since he was going to be king. We see that he would send men like Samuel who would physically anoint these guys, but I believe the Holy Spirit of God gave them a special anointing, giving them special abilities. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, it says, "...and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee," referring to Saul, "...and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man." And then in verse 9 it says, And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets, and the people said one to another, what is this that is coming to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? We see this massive change that took place in Saul because God gave him a special anointing. He gave him his spirit and he started prophesying. But then in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. So we see here that the Holy Spirit, it left Saul and it went to David. And you know what? It was, long, it was right after that that David ended up killing Goliath. How was David able to kill Goliath with just a sling and a stone. I believe the Spirit of God was on him. Giving him special ability. And that, and we see here too that Saul lost 
the Holy Spirit and ended up getting an evil spirit from the Lord. And in Psalms chapter 51, turn over there. Psalms chapter 51. Now, we often use this passage, once again, as proof of eternal security. And I think this is proof of... But a dispensationalist could take this and use this as a way to prove they did not have eternal security in the Old Testament. Because look what it says in Psalms 51.11. It says, "...cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me." Now, if you look at Psalms 51 at the very beginning, it mentions that this was a psalm that was written after David was confronted by Nathan the prophet after his sin with Bathsheba. David had sinned greatly. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so David here, he's thinking, I'm in trouble and he prays to God asking for forgiveness and he says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And I think everyone would agree that David's sin was worse than Saul's sin, but can anybody see where Saul repented like David repented? We see that Saul was stubborn. Saul made excuses. Saul would not get things right. And so God took the Spirit from Saul, but with David, when David sinned and when David got confronted by the prophet... David confessed his sin. David admitted that he was wrong, but he did not want God to remove his spirit from him because David knew he needed that if he was going to be a good king. And then, and then, you know, so a dispensationalist would maybe take that and say, you know, he didn't want to lose his salvation. But then, verse twelve, he said, "Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit." He didn't ask, you know, he wasn't afraid of losing his salvation, but he had lost the joy of his salvation because he wasn't right with God. So I don't believe David in here was worried about losing his salvation, but he was worried about losing the spirit of God because he understood how important it was that he had the spirit of God, and I believe the difference between Saul and David is David asked for forgiveness. I believe if Saul would have asked for God for God's forgiveness, the Lord is rich in mercy. The Lord loves to forgive. But you know what? You can't forgive someone who won't acknowledge that they've sinned. You can't do it. You know, you can have forgiveness in your heart. It can be ready to give. But if they're not willing to ask for that forgiveness, you can't give it to them. There's just no way. If they're not willing to accept it, you know, you can't force forgiveness on somebody. They've got to acknowledge they've done wrong and they've got to ask for that forgiveness. And he didn't do it. But we also see in the Old Testament, there's many more examples, we're not going to go to them, of people that the Spirit of God came upon. But there was also people that God would give His Spirit in different areas to. Okay, go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. We see here, uh, it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. We see seven spirits mentioned there. The seven spirits of God. What are those seven spirits? I believe we find those seven spirits in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And He said, "...and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch with a capital B." shall grow out of His roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. 
the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I believe we see seven spirits mentioned right there. And it says that they were going to come on that from that rod, or that stem of Jesse, that branch. And when we see Jesus Christ being baptized in the Jordan River, and you see the Holy Spirit descending as a dove and landing upon Him, you know what was happening right there? The Spirit of God was coming upon Him. He got an anointing like no one else had ever gotten before. And that is why they call Him the Messiah, which means the Christ or the Anointed One. He had an anointing from God like no one ever had. He had the seven spirits of God upon Him just like Isaiah 11 prophesied. Jesus who we see in Revelation chapter 5 with the seven spirits of God. He was that branch, that stem of Jesse, or that rod of Jesse that was prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 11. And so we see in those seven spirits, we can see examples in the Old Testament of different people who received some of those individual spirits. And, it, uh, and I'm, I'm going to a lot of passages. If you, don't, if you want to try to keep up, it's fine. I'm going to go through these quickly. And it, uh, Exodus chapter 28, verse 3 says, Now shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the Spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And I've given some people the Spirit of wisdom. In Exodus 31.1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works and to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship and I, behold, have given him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. So notice these specific spirits that God gave men like Bezalel and Aholiab. These are the guys who made the Ark of the Covenant. These are the guys who made all those vessels of the temple. God filled them with the spirit, these specific spirits that come from God in I don't have those spirits on me. I can't even make an image out of Play-Doh that you can recognize. I can make a snake and a worm, and that's about it. Uh, about those two things. <laughs> and I guess you could say that's really one thing. All right, a hot dog. I, I can do about that, or a ball. So I guess I'm a little more talented than I thought. But some people, they can take a rock and a hammer and a chisel, and they can carve out an image that you could recognize. I don't know how that works. I can't even draw a picture. You know, but there are some people that are that are gifted. There's a I think a part of your brain that has to work, and I do believe that God has I mean just truly gifted some of these people in those areas. I believe that God has given some people special gifts when it comes to music. People like your grandson who can just pick up any instrument and play it like they do. I don't get that. You know, I played the guitar some, but I had to work hard to get where I'm at on the guitar. I had to work real hard. I can't imagine doing it on that many different instruments. Some people can do it. Some people have amazing ability. You know, they got the perfect pitch, and they can you they can, you can play a note, and they know what note that is. I don't have that ability, but some people there are. They're specially gifted 
And we see examples like that that God gave. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So we see these examples that where God gave special anointing to people. The Holy Spirit of God did that. And then in Isaiah chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, and hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And notice, that was a prophecy of Jesus Christ right there too. Jesus Christ stood there in the temple or in the in the synagogue and he read that scripture and he looked at people and said this day this is fulfilled in your ears. You know what Jesus was saying? The spirit of God is on me. He has anointed me. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. And what did the people do? They they wanted to stone him after he made that claim. They they didn't believe it. You know, it's not this the carpenter's son. And we see that that though that Jesus was referring to a passage, the Spirit of God being upon him, he was that anointed one. He was the Christ, the Messiah. And so, if we are saved the same way today as they were back then, why are we indwelt by the Holy Spirit today when they weren't back then? Okay, if they were saved to where they and they had eternal security back then, why didn't they have the Holy Spirit like we do today? Why is there the clear clear difference between how things worked in the Old Testament and how they worked in the New Testament? And uh, and I believe the way to explain this is first off, you don't get saved by getting the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Okay? There are people today, you know, the Pentecostals, they believe they got saved when they got the gift of the Holy Ghost. That, that's how they base their salvation experience. You know, well, I got the Holy Ghost, you know, one day when I was at church and all of a sudden I started speaking in tongues. That's when I got the Holy Ghost. That's when I got saved. And they will, they'll talk about getting the Holy Ghost and that salvation. They'll tell you if you've never gotten the gift of the Holy Ghost, you've never got saved. Meaning, if you've never spoken tongues, if you never, you know, it's like for them, you receive the Holy Ghost, then get saved. But the truth is, you get saved, and then you get the Holy Ghost. And how do you get saved? You get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you receive the Holy Ghost. Back in the Old Testament times, they believed God to get saved, but they didn't receive the Holy Ghost. We don't, we are not, we did not get saved because we received the Holy Ghost. We received the Holy Ghost because we got saved. The truth is that you get saved and you've always gotten saved when you believe. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1 through 14. And this is where I think where it gets clear because we've been, uh, you know, my sermons kind of run together sometimes. But we talked recently about how God has always had the same plan from the beginning of time. It, but it has been progressively revealed to man throughout time. We understand more about salvation today than Abraham did and that Moses did 
and David. We know more about God today than those men did. God has revealed more things to us. Okay? So understand that. But look at, and look at Romans chapter 4. But I'm here today to tell you that God's plan has always been the same. It's always been one plan. Things didn't change. You know, when the Jews rejected the Messiah, you know, there's people out there saying, you know, we, we, we ought to thank the Jews. They're, they're basically teaching you you should thank the Jews for rejecting the Messiah because if the Jews hadn't rejected the Messiah, we wouldn't be able to get saved. And they, they twist some verses to do that. But the truth is, God always knew they were going to reject the Messiah. When they rejected the Messiah, God didn't say, oh man, well, I guess I'll go to the Gentiles now. No, we can see in Ephesians chapter 1 and 3, we're not going to go through that again, that God always planned, God always knew He was going to do it that way. God always had that plan. But look at Romans chapter 4, verse 1. It says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Wait a minute, I thought dispensationalists taught it was faith plus works. But he's saying here that Abraham, if he had, if works were involved, he'd have whereof to glory. But he's like us. He doesn't have anything to glory about. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Okay, even David talked about this. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. Okay, and he's not, he's not doing this here to say, no, this is a new thing. This is a new thing that God decided to do when the Jews messed up His plan and they rejected the Messiah. No, He says, no, this has always been God's plan to save people without works. And proof of this is in our father, Abraham. Our father pertaining to the flesh. He said, and look what He says, um, yeah, come at this blessedness and upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of uncircumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. He's saying here that if the promise seed, okay, the chosen people, all that stuff, if it is of the law, in other words, if it's through lineage, then there's no faith involved. It's never been 
about the lineage, and that's why I, you know, I get frustrated with these Jew worshippers today that still go around talking about the Jews like, you know, hail to the chosen people. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's those that be of faith. It has always been that way. And he says this because the, now what the dispensationalists will do. They will talk about how, you know, it was back in the Old Testament, it was faith plus works. When it got to Abraham, you know, you entered a new dispensation. Then when they had the law, it was this new dispensation. But notice what he's doing, Paul's doing here in Romans. He's going through the dispensation. He's using Abraham as an example. He's using David as an example and showing that all through that time, it was always the same thing. It was always they believed God. And people will say, well, yeah, they had to believe God. But then they had to do the works too. They had to do the circumcision. They had to do the sacrifices. And then you could say, well, Abraham didn't do the circumcision. He got saved first. But the dispensational say, but yeah, it's because God had not given him the circumcision yet. He had not entered that next dispensation. Well, if that was the case, then why would Paul say, hey, proof that it's always been without works is Abraham got saved way before the circumcision. Abraham got saved. That verse that he quotes there was when God told Abraham or Abram to leave the earth of the Chaldees and God told him, I'm going to multiply your seed and he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Circumcision did not come until years later after Isaac was born. Abraham didn't get circumcised until he was 100 years old. And so, right, that you say, well, that, what, he didn't enter that dispensation yet. Well, then why did Paul reference the fact that no, Abraham got saved before that without works? Okay? It's because he's trying to show that it has always been salvation by faith without works. He mentions David, who is, just happens to be an Old Testament character, who wrote, you know, blessed is that man whom the Lord hath not impute sin, whose sins are covered. David wrote about it. David, under, David, he might not have fully understood what he was writing about, but he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And it was clear throughout the Old Testament, throughout the dispensations, that salvation was always about believing in God and it was without works. And we see here that believing is not a work. Verse 5, but to him that worketh not, okay, to him that worketh not, that means not working, not of works, right? But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The Cal- Many of the Calvinists will try to tell you that believing is a work and it's not of works. You know, believing, that's not something you can do for yourself. God does that for you. But no, believing is not a work. It says right here, to him that worketh not, but believeth. Well, if believing is a work, then how can, how can we work not and believe? You can because believing is not a work. It is not a work of the law. It was not, there, there are no, you know, ceremonial actions or even moral actions that you do. Believing, I mean, it's, it can't be, it cannot get any clearer than right here in Romans chapter 4. Believing is not a work. Moses, or Abraham got saved by believing God and he got it without works. Everybody in the Old Testament that was saved, they got saved by believing God and they got it without works. 
And they are many the dispensationalists they teach that in the Old Testament it was faith plus works, and the day is coming in the tribulation where it's gonna be faith plus works again. In other words, if you're gonna be saved, you gotta have faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, and you can't take the mark of the beast, otherwise you'll lose your salvation. Eh, wrong. Dead wrong. Absolutely false. Being a physical descendant of Abraham, it never saved anyone. And not being a physical descendant of Abraham never stopped anyone from being saved. And we see that very clear here in Romans chapter 4. This blessing, it was not on the circumcision only, but on the uncircumcision. And it's referring to back in that time. People in the Old Testament time who were not Jews, there were people who were not Jews and they got saved. They believed God. Anyone back then, even though they weren't a Jew, even though they were not capable of giving the sacrifices and things because they were not Jewish, if they would have believed God, they could have been saved. People did get saved who weren't Jews back in the Old Testament. Not very many. There weren't a lot. But thank God, thanks to what He has revealed to us now and the work of the Holy Spirit now, we see people from all over the world getting saved. There are Christians all over the world. And what an amazing thing that is. And that has much. all that has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. So, what about the ceremonial things that they did in the Old Testament? Did those things save anyone? Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Because I think Romans was pretty clear on all this stuff, but I think Hebrews chapter 9, it gets even, it gets even clearer. Because remember, I'm making the argument that you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, they didn't have to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit to be saved then. Okay? And I'm trying, and I think here's where we can start seeing the difference between the Old and New Testament. And once again, the salvation was always the same, but clearly the way the Holy Spirit worked was different. But it says in verse 1 Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Okay? The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, there used to be a worldly sanctuary. They had the temple, they had the tabernacle. For there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Okay, Now, now watch this. Because people will tell you, no, they had to do these things to be saved. These were essentials to salvation. But look what it says in verse 8. Starting in verse 8, "...the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing." you all see that? All those things that they were doing God told them to do those things for a reason. He was trying to reveal something to them, but it was it was a progressive thing. And He had not fully manifested 
the way of salvation to them yet. What you see going on in the Old Testament with all those ceremonial things they did, that did not save anybody. Okay? It was it was a way of revealing something, but it was not manifested yet. The way of salvation, the way of their salvation was not manifested yet. Okay? And what because people they'll mock you when you say Oh, you know, how how did Abraham have faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Well, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it was not manifested to Abraham yet, but the way of salvation was in fact the shed blood of Jesus Christ for Abraham and everyone in the Old Testament time, but it wasn't revealed to them yet. They didn't understand it yet. Well, how did they get saved? They got saved by believing God. Same way we do today. Once again, look at this. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. The way into the holiest of all it was not going through the veil. It was not doing all those ceremonial things. It was through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present. It wasn't salvation. It was just a figure. It was just a picture in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make Him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It couldn't make Him perfect. It couldn't save them. It couldn't. All those things they did couldn't save anybody. Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers' washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them under the time of the Reformation. But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, the full plan of salvation has always been the same. It's always been the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason anyone's ever been saved. You and I got saved because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to, go to, he- we're going to be able to go to heaven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And everyone in the Old Testament, they didn't get saved by faith plus their works. They didn't get saved because of the sacrificing of lambs. They got saved because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He's made them all one people like God had originally intended as we taught in Ephesians chapter 1 and 3 uh, a couple of Wednesday nights ago. The full plan of salvation though, it was not made manifest during the Old Testament time even though there was clearly already salvation and it wasn't in the sacrifices. That's what you get from Hebrews 9 there. They had salvation. Their salvation, it was by the shed blood of Christ, which had not yet happened, but it was going to happen. It had been determined it was going to happen. It had been stated that it was going to happen from the foundation of the world. And if God says something is going to happen, mark it down as past, you know, like past history. It's done. And therefore, they had salvation back then. It was in the blood of Christ but they didn't understand that. That was not made manifest to them. And you know what? They didn't have to understand all that. What did they have to do? They had to believe God. And when they believed God, it was accounted unto them for righteousness. So they were, they were, they got, you know, the full plan of salvation was not made manifest during the Old Testament, 
even though there was already salvation. The things God had them do, it was to help them understand the plan of salvation after Jesus completed it. And many of them did. You know, you see Paul throughout the book of Hebrews, he's constantly going back and teaching them from their practices they did back then, showing them that, hey, this was fulfilled with Jesus Christ. The circumcision, it was fulfilled with Jesus Christ. The Sabbath, Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. He fulfilled that. The way we enter into His rest is by ceasing from our labors and just trusting in His work. We don't need to keep those ordinances anymore. They never saved anybody. All those people that got saved in the Old Testament, they got saved because they believed God just like we get saved today when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's different. They had to believe God. We have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the thing is, they were believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They just didn't know it. It wasn't revealed to them yet. Jesus said, I and My Father are one. They did believe on the Lord Jesus Christ but His name had not been revealed to them yet. The Son of God had not been revealed to them yet. But they were believing in the same thing that we are. We just know more about it today than they did back then. That's, that's the only difference. And so, what is the big difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament? In the Old Testament, God gave them a physical city. Like we saw there in Hebrews. God gave them a physical city. God gave them... Uh, a temple. He gave them earthly ordinances as a token of their salvation. Okay, Those were a picture. The circumcision. That was a token of their salvation. That was what God gave them then. I thank God the token of our salvation now is the Holy Spirit of God. God has given us that earnest of His Spirit. We don't have anything earthly now that God gives us to show our salvation. That token, I've, I've used this before, it's like the ring. The ring is not what saves or what gets us married. Okay? Having a ring does not mean you're married, but it is, or you don't get married because you're. I'm messing this up. Okay? You, you are not married because you have a ring. Anybody can get a ring. Okay? But that ring does show that you're married. It is something special. It's between me and my wife. Okay, And it's to let everyone else know that, hey, I'm already taken. I've got this ring on my left hand, on my ring finger. And it is, it's a token of that. And back then, God gave to His people a land, the land of Israel. God gave them Jerusalem. He gave them the temple. He gave them the law. He gave them all those things as a token that they were His people. But you know what? Today, God has given us something else. He's given us something better. As a token of our salvation today, we get something better. We have something better than cardinal ordinances. We've got something better than ceremonial things and uh, you know feast days and all those things. We have the very Spirit of God dwelling in us today. That's the difference. God has given us a new token. He's given us a different token. He's given us the Holy Spirit of God, one that stays with us, one that doesn't go away, even if we grieve it. He still stays with us. He seals us until the day of redemption. The thing, so, you know, God, He's given us that Holy Spirit. He's made our bodies the temple of God. We don't have an earthly temple anymore. This is not our temple. We don't go, if they build, if they go in and try to build a temple in Jerusalem, we're not going to go there and bow to it and pray to it and do anything. That would be an abomination 
for them to do that today. God has made our bodies the temple and we are a part of the heavenly country. We are a part of the nation of Israel. We are of the commonwealth of Israel. We once were far off. We are a part of that today. We are God's chosen people. Not because of law. If it was of law, then it's not of faith. And the truth is, Paul taught very clearly in Romans it had nothing to do with law being a part of that nation, being a child of Abraham, it had everything to do with faith. God reckoned it to Abraham. In other words, He identified those of faith with Abraham. He, those would be of faith. He was such a wonderful example of that. God, He just kind of puts them in that group. You know, just like you know, we do the same thing today. If you come and you tell me, you know, I, I like socialism. Are oh, you Bernie Sanders fan? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put his name on you. Ah, oh, you know, I'm a Democrat. Why oh, you Hillary Clinton? We do. We put names on with people all the time. And God did that with those who are of faith. God named it with Abraham, and Abraham's seed are those who are of faith. And it has always been that way. It has never changed. God's plan has never changed. But what? People, what was manifest to man has changed. They've learned more as time has gone on. And the only thing that's really changed is the token of our salvation. It's not in carnal ordinances or the things that never saved anybody. It's in the Holy Spirit. You did not, do not get saved by getting the Holy Spirit just like a person did not get saved by doing the ordinances. Okay, you get saved when you believe God, and you get the whole. And they did those who believe God would do the ordinances, and those of us who are saved today, we get the Holy Spirit of God, and thank God for that, for that token that He's given us. And there's nothing physical. I can't prove to you the Holy Spirit of God, can I? I can't show you anything physically. It's a completely spiritual thing. It's not. It's not an earthly thing. It is a spiritual thing. Why? Because the kingdom of God, it is. It's a spiritual kingdom. And so, we see here that the Holy Spirit, He has always been around. He has always been present. He has always been busy. And He always will be around. He's not, he's not going with us in the rapture. I believe the Spirit of God is still going to be on earth during that time. And He's going to be, what's He going to do during that time? He's going to be letting people know why they're being punished. He's everywhere. He's all present. He was around before there was people, and He's going to be around when all there's left is lost people on this earth. And so thank God for His Holy Spirit. And I hope that was all clear to you this morning or this evening was a help. So with that, let's all stand together.